Well, we uh, did take a little break with the uh, coming of Easter season, looking to the cross and then considering the resurrected Savior. But now we're returning to our, our study through the book of the Gospel of John. And today we, we come to chapter 5. If I could remind you a little bit about what has happened. Remember in chapter 4, there was the uh, traveling. The, the First they had been in Jerusalem. The Lord had been in Jerusalem for Passover and some encounters there, like the, the meeting with Nicodemus. And then he went off to uh, the Jordan River and uh, a ministry of discipleship and baptizing disciples. And so having been there in Jerusalem in the spring, December, January, he was up in the Samaritan area. And amazingly, the Samaritans welcoming a Jewish teacher. And he preached the gospel. was well received. From there, he went on to Galilee. He went back to Cana, and while he was there, remember the healing of the nobleman's son? Some other things happened. We're going to see him now returning to Jerusalem uh, in chapter 5. And so our text before us this Lord's Day is Genesis, John, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I'll read that, and then we'll look to it. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Immediately, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Then the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So we see it begins, Jesus is there for a festival. We're not sure. Many think it was another Passover festival. Uh, but there were three festivals, in, in, according to the biblical law, where the Jews were to go to Jerusalem and worship. Uh, we see that in Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. On the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover and the week of unleavened bread that follows, at the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Tabernacles. So it was one of those probably when Jesus, perhaps Passover, when our Lord was there in Jerusalem. Now, we're told there's a Jeru- there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Now, if you look at your text carefully, the word after sheep gate is in italics. That means uh, that's not in the original text. And so that's just guessing. And so 
Um, it's possible there was, some say it was a sheep market. In other words, sheep gate seems likely. Uh, the, that's just a way of describing something that would have been familiar at the time. And there was this pool there called Bethesda, or some of you may have a different word there. I think I saw Bethzatha. Um, Bethesda seems the more likely word there. Uh, this pool uh, was there in the northern part of Jerusalem, not far from uh, what's now the Stephen Gate, uh, right next to the, the St. Anne Church. It's a beautiful church in there. And uh, uh, people like to go when they visit Jerusalem and go in there and just uh, spontaneously sing. The acoustics are nearly as good as here. Uh, it's just remarkable. But, but right there is this pool. And for, for a long time, people weren't sure... Where is this exactly? But archaeologists have dug it, dug and researched, and this that pool is right there uh, next to the church, which was actually, I think, built to honor. There's a mural about this event, so so there there was this place. Now, as I was reading along, some of you got a little confused, because as I was reading in chapter five, verse three, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. And then some of you go on down and say, now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Those of you who are reading in the New King James or King James text, you followed right along with me. So there's about a verse and a half that's in the King James, New King James text, that's not in ESV, CSB, NASB, NIV, whatever V you might have brought with you this Lord's Day. Um, and this is one of those examples where it's a question of um, which Greek manuscripts uh, are the better record of what was in the text. You know, it's really remarkable. We don't have the original writing of John, but we have copies that go back to very close to the time when John and, and the apostles were writing. We have thousands of copies of the New Testament text that are very close to the time. Um, the question but the oldest texts, the oldest Greek copies don't have that verse and a half. Um, I, I actually spent some time this week going on. It's, you can do it all online now. Uh, I went and just looked at some of the pictures of some of the earliest manuscripts. And, and I've, I've got a question about one. I'm, I'm thinking about reaching out to one of my friends who's a, one of the authorities on ancient manuscripts. He goes all over the world and takes pictures of them and is building an archive. But anyway, there was something here that I'm not going to bother you with. <laughs> I, I would like to launch off and talk about it. This, the best manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts, do not have this text, I should say, the earliest at least. What troubles me is there's an early church father who mentions this in the second century. So already we've got a church leader who's talking about the, those verses as if they're in the text. That's significant. And then there's verse 6 that says... Uh, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew, um, the man said, verse 7, I have no one to put me in when the water is stirred. What's he mean there? So it seems like this tradition of the stirring of the water for healing was known. So whether these verses were inserted to try and explain a tradition, I don't know, but it's not really that important. The key is the man had been there for 30, had had, had an illness for 38 years. I don't know if he was by the pool the whole time. And the thought was, if you could get in when the waters were stirred, and I don't know if that was once a year or just spontaneously, they, apparently they had a, at least it was a, a, a rumor that if the first guy in got healed, 
But this guy could never get there. And so here is this man, and, and here's his condition. Now, verse 5, here was this man, a certain man who had been there in infirmity 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there, knew he had already been in that condition a long time, and said, Do you want to be made well? First of all, I like to think about this man. Have you ever had an illness or a problem that goes on for a while? Maybe you've had surgery, and it's taking a while for that to recover. And it might be weeks, maybe in a month, and after a while you get really weary of it. I remember one time I hurt my back, and it was really, it was bad. I couldn't get, couldn't get off the floor for a little while. But within a couple of weeks, I was okay. But I was really grateful because it helped me understand people that have that, that continuing pain. Because after a while, it can get pretty discouraging. And if you've been through a time like that, imagine 38 years, an invalid. Now, we're not, I'm not sure if he was paralyzed, but whatever. He could not get up. He couldn't move from one place to the next uh, quick enough to get into the pool. That's how bad he was. And that had been going on for 38 years. And our Lord walked into this place saw him and, and, and it's evident he, he was God had a divine appointment for our Lord and he went in and he saw him out of all those there and he went up to him and he asked a simple question do you want to be made well can you imagine you're lying in a bed in a hospital and the doctor comes in and said would you like to get better um, isn't that why I'm here who doesn't want to get better no no I like the fact I can't move I kind of enjoy lying here in misery uh, and in despair. No, but, so why does the Lord ask that? And again, remember, I have, a, I have a basic premise. When God asks a question, he's not looking for information. <laughs> Jesus knows his heart. Of course he wants to be made well. What's he doing? He's soliciting, if you will, a, a confession. I need healing. I want healing. So, again, our Lord so often works by asking a question, drawing him out, and so he can express. And so the man said, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up. But while I'm coming, another man steps down. Maybe he was wondering, why haven't you done something about it? He said, I'm trying. all I can do is I'm hoping someone would help me. Now, it's interesting. If you look at your text, it says some man. There's different words in the Greek text. Man can mean male, but this one is the... It's the generic term, it's some person. But in other words, this man is hoping a person, a mortal person can solve his problem. And guess what? In 38 years, there hasn't been a person who could help him. But when the God-man comes, the story changes. And so his hope is in what man can do for him. And what becomes obvious, man has been unable to help him. And so I think that's partly why our Lord chooses him. This is someone where it couldn't be clearer. There is nothing anyone can do for this man. He is hopelessly uh, debilitated. And then Jesus asks him, do you want to get better? And of course he does. Of course he does. But Jesus, when he comes to us, he wants us to say, Lord, I need your help. I can't do this. 
And especially that's fundamentally in the gospel. Lord, I am a sinner. And I can't wash my sin away. I can't deal with the guilt that's on my heart. I need you to do this. He wants us to confess our need to him. Well, Jesus then said to the man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. What a simple statement, huh? Rise, take up your bed. Now, now, now you and I, when we think of bed, okay, so we're thinking, wait a minute, he had a bed frame there, box springs, you know, the, the mattress. Um, did he have a comforter on it? No, think a mat. You know, this man's lying on a stone porch. And so it, it was just a, probably a two-inch memory foam he picked up at Walmart. <laughs> You know, so, but no, you get the idea. It was just like some kind of a, maybe a, you know, some kind of a cloth or that kind of a mat, just a simple mat. But Jesus said to him, very simply, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man made, was made well, took his bed and walked. First of all, notice the healing. Have you ever been sick? I think most of us would say yes. Have you ever been laid up for a while? If you were to get the flu or COVID or whatever it might be and be in bed for a couple of weeks, you're going to find that you've already lost muscle strength. Uh, things start atrophying. And it's, it's something that's interesting to notice. The older you get, the quicker the atrophy and the slower the restoration. <laughs> but, but be that as it may, so you can imagine you lie in bed for a week or two and literally you will have lost muscle strength. Can you imagine the muscle strength of 38 years of unable to get up? Zero. Negative 85. So, but notice when Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. It doesn't say the disciples had to help him to his feet. It doesn't say that he, he was able to scuffle away. He was given full strength and restoration like a young man. And it was instantaneous. There's no question. This is an incredible, miraculous intervention of God who, who rebuilt, who built anew all those muscles and strength and gave him the ability to just walk out of there. Notice, too, how our Lord commanded him. Get up. Walk. And he did. How did he do it? Because God gave him the ability to do it. And he followed through and did it. You know, in many ways, that's a, very, that's a picture of how the gospel comes to us. The Lord Jesus Christ calls out to us, Believe! Come unto me, you who are weak and heavy laden. God the Holy Spirit calls to us, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But wait a minute. The Bible says that we're spiritually dead. Unable. The very one who speaks to us in his speaking and call gives us the ability to believe as he gave the man the ability to get up and walk. 
See what I'm saying? It's, it's a work of God. And the very call is the giving of the life. Another picture of that is we're going to come later into chapter 11 when, when the Lord Jesus Christ um, calls out to Lazarus in the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Did Lazarus hear the word? How could he have heard if he was dead? But in the very calling, he gave him the life and ability to hear and respond. And here, as the Lord speaks, what's this man's name? Did you notice? It's not in there. That's not the important thing. Again, is this one of the fellows we'll we'll meet in heaven? Maybe he'll wear a little tag that says 38, and that'll be our clue. Wait a minute. Bethesda, right? (laughs) Um, And so we can ask you, did an angel come? No, but... But, but here's this man, and the Lord speaks, and in his, getting, in his speaking to him, in his command, he gives him the ability to obey that command. And he walks, just as when the Lord says to us, believe, and he gives us the ability to believe. By grace, you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So again, can you imagine? I don't know who was more surprised. Were the people around him that had seen him every day? Were the disciples who had been watching Jesus do some of these kinds of miracles? Was the man surprised? Can you imagine after those 38 years all of a sudden having the ability to just stand up and walk? And bend over and pick up a mat and walk out? What a stunning, incredible miracle in a very humble and hardly noticeable place. You know, some of these that put on these great, oh, we're going to do a good, great show of miracles. Notice Jesus goes to, it'd be like walking through this, uh, the slums of Calcutta and just walking up to one person. Here, let me give you health and moving on. No one really would notice. But then John throws in a word here. And that day was the Sabbath. That day was the Sabbath. That, that's Saturday. That was the day of rest in Jerusalem. And that's going to lead to a Sabbath controversy. But I want you to know something. Jesus knew it was the Sabbath day. He was um, not only healing a man, he was setting up a, a, a teaching opportunity. So the Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered and said, he who made me well. said, pick up your bed and carry it. But they began by saying, it's not lawful. So, as I said, in, in, in Old Testament law, uh, it, was, it was declared Saturday is the Sabbath day, and you could do no work. The, the Bible doesn't say much about what that work looked like, but you couldn't do work. Uh, there's a couple places uh, merchants couldn't carry their, their, their merchandise into the city. Uh, farmers couldn't uh, load up their ox or, or donkey and bring in the, the harvest on, on the Sabbath day. They couldn't uh, do work. But the Pharisees came along and, and the rabbis asked the question, well, what is work? What is work? Kind of like a student, you might ask him, did you do your homework? Well, what do you mean do? (laughs) Can we talk about that? Well, and so what the rabbis wrestle with, 
Um, and, and this is where the Pharisees come, come in. The Sadducees, they only believed in the Pentateuch, and, and they said, don't add a word to it. The Pharisees believed the traditions, the teachings of the rabbi were of equal authority with the Old Testament. And so um, about 150 years, to, well, about 150, 200 years after Christ, one of the rabbis sat down and, and, and put into writing the teachings of the rabbis up to that time, the, what was called the oral tradition or oral Torah, oral law. And so it's about, I've got the six volumes of that. It's called the Mishnah. Later on, a few centuries later, then they produced the Talmud. But in Mishnah, uh, there's a section that's specifically given over to the Sabbath rules. I just want to just read you what the rabbis taught. And a good Pharisaic rabbi could quote this all. And here's what it says, because this was all, up until this was put into writing, it was all oral tradition. The main labors prohibited on the Sabbath are 40 less one. Later on, the rabbis, why did they not just say 39? And there's a whole discussion. I won't get into that. <laughs> sowing, the seed sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, cleansing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing the wool, and washing or beating or dyeing it, spinning, weaving, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying a knot or loosening one, sewing two stitches, tearing in order to sew two stitches, hunting a deer and slaughtering it or flaying it or salting it or curing its skin or scraping it or cutting it up, writing two letters, erasing in order to write two letters, building, demolishing, extinguishing, kindling, striking with a hammer, carrying from one domain into another. Those are the chief labors forbidden on the Sabbath, 40 less one. Did you I didn't see you writing. Do I need to go over that again? So, and then those 39 categories, then they subcategorize and, and lay out all of what it means to work. And so I remember a, a Jewish friend of mine that, you know, there in the dorm, and he was saying, you know, he couldn't write the two letters. You know, you can write one line, but if you write two, that might, you might be trying to write a letter, and so you can't do that. And all the, all the stipulations we... We're talking about the Sabbath as it relates to the Lord's Day in our adult Sunday school class. We're doing some great uh, video teaching that's been phenomenal on this issue. But it mentioned one of the things. A, a tailor could not have a, a needle, a, a sewing needle, in his coat because carrying that would be work. You notice you can't tie a knot. And, and on and on, and the, all these things that aren't in the Old Testament. These are the Jewish traditions on top of which. And that's why Jesus said, you make your traditions of more value, more important than the Bible itself. And so their category here, if you can't pick up this mat and walk with it, um, that was their law uh, building on and adding to the Sabbath law. Jesus would not command someone to break God's law. And so he, but he helped them understand the real meaning of the law. And so notice so the, the, when the rabbi saw him walking and carrying the mat, um, he said, they said, you can't do that. It's a Sabbath. Verse 11, he responds, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, now notice how the man said that. 
You, you shouldn't be carrying that because it's the Sabbath. And he said, the man who could heal me said I should pick it up. You see what he's saying? If, if he has the, the, the divine ability to restore my health, then he must speak for God. And if God tells me to pick up my mat, I'm going to pick up my mat. That, that's what he's saying. He, 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 he's a man who says, if God, he, he could not have done that healing if it were not of the Lord. And so if this man, this prophet, whatever he is, tells me to pick up my mat, it must be from the Lord. So that's why I'm doing it. And notice the response of the rabbis. So they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Because, you know, who's, who's telling you to break our Sabbath laws? Is that really the question they should have been asking? Chuck Swindoll put it in a way, and, and I'll kind of embellish it a little bit. But imagine it's Sunday morning. You know, you're getting ready uh, for church. And, um, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you can't get over. It's, it's not even 8 o'clock in the morning. The guy next door is mowing. And you know how sometimes when it's really quiet, that mower just... And it seems like he must be mowing right outside your window. He's mowing. And maybe he's weed eating. And it's getting more and more annoying. And so finally you go out there, and there's your neighbor. Now, as long as you've known your neighbor for the decades you've lived next door, he's been an invalid. The only time he's ever outside is because they wheeled him out in the wheelchair to catch some sun. And now with a big grin on his face, he's mowing his lawn. What's the first thing you say to him? Don't you know it's Sunday? People are either sleeping in or they're getting ready for church. What are you doing making all this racket? Or would you say, Tom, what are you doing on your feet? And why would the first thing you do mow be to mow? But, 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 but wouldn't that be the thing? Would you, would you complain about the noise? Wouldn't you say, what are you doing? How can you be walking? How can you be mowing? And maybe throw your arms around him with a big hug. Planet kiss on his cheek. This is great. I can't believe you're doing so well. What happened? You know those vitamin commercials on the radio? I bought. No, but, but all that to say, would you, would, you, would you say now? You might have been going out the door been thinking, who's making all that racket? But when you see Tom, who hasn't walked in 38 years, Pushing a mower with vim and bigger. Would you, would you get on him about the noise? That's what the rabbis do. He said, the man who healed me told me to pick up my mat. Who would tell you to pick up your mat? They don't say, who? what do you mean he healed you? What, what, tell me, what do you mean? Now, if he's been there 38 years and this is not at all far from the temple, I don't know if they would have seen him, known him, recognized him. But again, all they can worry about is he broke one of our traditions. That makes him a bad man. Instead of saying, what is God doing here? Well, the interesting thing in verse 13, the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. So it was such a crowded place. Jesus healed him, said, pick up your mat and walk. He picked up his mat. And by the time he turned around, Jesus was gone. But he kept walking. And, um, and it says later on, Jesus found him in the temple. 
that I think tells me something. How many years had he hoped uh, an angel would heal him through the waters? How many years had he prayed to God, sometimes in tears and sometimes in anguish, maybe sometimes in bitterness? Oh, God, can't you heal me? When God healed him so completely and fully, he picked up that bed and where did he go? Jesus found him in the temple. He was healed. And I think he was in the temple because he wanted to worship and give thanks to the one who had healed him. I've told you before about the pastor of a coastal church. It's a fishing church up in the northeast. A fishing community. And, you know, every year... The husbands of the families would head out on their ships uh, to, to, to fish. And all through the, the season, the, the wives would be there in the church asking prayer for their husbands that they would come back safe. At the end of the year, the pastor would put out a newsletter, basically a bulletin of the events of the year, kind of a summary, a report. And in there, he reported that a couple dozen men of the church had, had been lost at sea. And people came up and looked and said, well, who? who? Who died? We can't think of one person who died. And he said, well, they must have been lost at sea. We prayed all this time that God would keep them safe. No one ever came and said, thank God for the answered prayer. So I just assumed they were lost at sea. <laughs> A gentle reminder, hey, if we ask and God answers, shouldn't we at least thank him? This man picked up that mat and walked into the temple. And I think he was, he probably didn't have much to offer, but he could offer his praise. And I wonder, I can just see him standing there before the temple and saying, thank you, Lord. I thought I was forgotten. And is it an incredible? Can you think of a more lowly person, weak, frail, forgotten? And God in the flesh, the king of the universe, the Messiah of promise, walked up and to him personally said, your prayers are answered. Get up and walk. We're told, though, the, 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 the man who healed him didn't know, know who Jesus was. Verse 14, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. So, the, so he's, he's walked with his mat. The Pharisees have rebuked him for being a lawbreaker. And his answer is, hey, if God sent someone to heal me, I'm going to listen to him. He told me, Get, pick up the mat and walk. Now Jesus finds him in the temple and said to him, see, You've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And then the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. So Jesus finds him in the temple, again, I think, worshiping and thanking God. And he says, look, you've been made well. You've been healed. Your prayers are answered. Sin no more, or literally, stop sinning. Some people read this and say, ah, oh, that explains it. He was lame for 38 years because of his sin. But it doesn't say you sinned 38 years ago. He says you are sinning even now. You notice when Jesus went to him, he didn't say, do you believe in me? Yes, okay, then walk. He just said walk, and he walked. Now he's coming with the gospel invitation. You know what? You're still in your sin. 
you need to turn to God in your heart in repentance and seek him as Savior. And so that's why he's saying, stop sinning. Stop continuing in, in unbelief. Stop continuing in your rebellion against God. Or think worse things will happen. He's not saying you're going to get a 40-year disease. I think what he's saying is, uh, one day you're going to die and go into eternity. And to go into eternity without Christ is worse than 38 years of disability. And so what he's saying is, now that your body is healed, you need a healing of the heart. Believe, repent, recognize your sin and turn from it to the Savior. That's what he's saying to him now. The Lord's healed his body. And now he's talking to him about his soul. I was reminded of Anne who's serving the Lord there in Suriname in the jungle there by the river. And one of her commitments is everyone that comes into that clinic, she, she prays with them and shares Christ with them. Um, and that goes back to her father, who was a surgeon in Africa. Everyone that came into his clinic, uh, he was happy to pray with them and share Christ with them. Eventually that got him, as the Muslims came to greater influence in the country where he was, he had to leave the country. They said, you can stay here. All you have to do is stop talking about Christ. And he said, can't do that. If I can't talk about Christ, then there's no reason to be here. And so that's her father. She's continuing the tradition. But here's the point. She combines the reaching out to the body with the reaching out to the soul. She shows God's mercy in, in, in healing wounds and infections and delivering babies. And she shows God's mercy by sharing Christ and by praying for each one that comes through. Our Lord Jesus Christ healed the body. And now he's saying, you know what? There's something greater than this body because if you don't turn from your sin to Christ in salvation, worse is coming, not better. When I thought about this, I'm reminded of the fact over the years, maybe you've talked to someone who who had a chance, who had a situation that their life was obviously spared. Maybe they, um, they had a terrible accident and they walked away perfectly fine or whatever it might be, a disease that was remarkably healed. On more than one occasion, I've talked with someone who's been in a situation like that and I've said to them something along the lines of, your life was spared for a reason. Um, you need to think about what you're going to do with the life that has been spared by God. Well, in a sense, that's what the Lord's saying to him. I've, I've restored your health. Now, you have bigger issues, bigger fish to fry. What about your soul? What about your soul? And that's just such a reminder to us that the greater thing in life, so often we think, well, if I just got my health, I'm good. And Jesus is saying, you know, there's something more important than the health of your body. It's the health of your soul. Because each and every one of us is a sinner by nature. Separated from God by our sin. And Jesus Christ came to die for our sin. That he could offer us forgiveness. And so he would come, as he came to the man said, do you want to walk? He's today saying to every, whole, every soul, do you want forgiveness? Do you want eternal life? Trust in me.
We're told then, verse 15, the man departed, from, met Jesus in the temple. Don't you, do you think the conversation went a little longer than that? I don't know. Jesus may have just quickly said it and moved on. I, I wonder if there would have been some conversation. Again, John, fill in some blanks here for me, would you please? But he told us he was not going to give us every detail. But then from here, we're told the man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. Now, there's, there's two different approaches I've seen to the same verse. Some say, this stinker. Here, Jesus heals him, offers him the gospel, and he goes and rats him out to the Pharisees, trying to get him in trouble. Can you tell I don't agree with that view? <laughs> I don't think it was anything wrong. I, I think, actually, in his innocence, he's thinking, oh, they don't know who the Messiah is. I'll tell them it was Jesus. And you know, it's, oh, they, they want to know this. You know, I have run into that in my life at times. Uh, early on in particular in ministry, I, I thought, oh, all I need to do is tell, share the truth with this person. And they'll be so excited to hear it. Have you ever done that? This is great. I've met the Savior. Hey, let me tell you about it. And, and you're thinking, well, they're going to want to know just as much as I did. And all of a sudden... Um, to put it in modern terms, they're blocking your phone number. <laughs> they're, you know, all of a sudden they, they, they walk out of the room when you walk in and you're thinking, what's the matter? I, I'm just trying to help you know the most wonderful truth there is to know. That's what I think this man was doing. <laughs> hey, Pharisees, you ought to know. Hey, priests and, and leaders, the Messiah is in town. He healed me. Isn't that good? And he's, you know, and... and, and but some people, because it doesn't, they don't receive it. See, here's the problem. Jesus didn't come and fit their expectations. And so they don't want anything to do with him. Oh, we could pick on those Pharisees all day for that. But you know what? We have the same problem. Have you ever talked to someone and, and shared to them who Jesus Christ is? And, and, and where, what, he's, what, his, what he teaches us? And the response is, no, nope, my God's not like that. Now, I won't worship a God like that. That's like telling someone to, it, it's raining. And someone says, nope, nope. No, I, I don't like rain. It's not raining. You may not like it. But if you step out, you're going to get wet. You know, I don't care if you don't, you know, if, if you don't like the idea of who God is, there's a problem of reality. You know, we can't, you know, and I'm so glad that's how reality works. It's just there. We, we, we respond to it. Or can you imagine this world if everyone got the weather they were hoping for? I want rain for my garden. You want sun for your party. What are we going to do? But it, see, the point is, the Pharisees, they wanted a Messiah who came obeying them. And may I say that man's problem is we want a God who says to us, thy will be done. I live for your good pleasure. When God is calling us to say, thy will be done, I want to live for your good pleasure. So I think this man, he thought they'd be just as excited as he is. And he was surprised. So, so just to, again, what do we pull away from this? Notice how Jesus begins and, and shares with man he wants him to confess his need. When we come to the Savior, what we Savior from what and why? 
When we come to him in saving faith, we come to him and say, Lord, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you and, your, and, and the Father. I'm guilty. I want your forgiveness. Notice, if you will, too, I really believe Jesus, it wasn't a surprise to Jesus, it was the Sabbath day. When he healed that man, he knew what he was doing. He was, he was going straight to their issue and saying, okay, you're going to have to make a choice. Is it your tradition or God's truth? And sometimes God is like that with us. He takes us and says, okay, here's your confrontation. You know what God's word says. What are you going to do? What a warning. May we need not be like the Pharisees and say, no, uh-uh. If I don't get my way with God, then, then he can, I, I, won't, I don't want anything to do with him. The, the, the healed man is the example for us. If he says, get up and walk and take your mat, get up and walk and take your mat. And today what God is saying to each and every soul is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. If you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the word to you is very simply there. He wants you to confess your sin to him. Turn from it. He says, stop your sinning, he said to this man. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. If you're a child of God, if you've already trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, then the word to us is to learn the lesson from these very religious people. Our simple attitude towards God's word should be, yes, Lord. By your grace, I want to obey you day in and day out. Our Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and how lovingly he reaches out to each of us, just as he did to this man. Father, if any of who hear these words have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, may they today, Father, see their need, confess it, and turn in saving faith to Jesus Christ. For those of us, your, your children, may we, Lord, ever have our hearts tuned to your will, eager to please ready to trust. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.